We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Can I tell you one more bit of good news before we jump into our psalm for today? Would that be all right? McKinley Hartzell doesn't have cancer anymore. Yeah, isn't that great? So the um, I'm not a, a medical doctor, but uh, you know they took some bone marrow samples. Um, they evaluated it, um, and the results came back that there was no leukemia found. And um, there's much to celebrate. The journey's still there, still long. She's still going to get chemotherapy uh, coming up here next this this coming this week. Um, but um, but it was a huge praise. And every step along the journey, we're just going to keep on trusting him and praising him, and we're very very thankful. So. Um, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's done great things. So, hey, if you would, children, you are dismissed at this time. And go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 134. Psalm 134. If you're new here, we just want to welcome you. Um, if you're new to the Scriptures, Psalm is a, a book in the Bible. It starts with a P, and it's in the middle of the Bible. And it's a whole bunch of songs. And uh, this summer, we have been in particularly studying a group or a cluster of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And it's where uh, people uh, use these psalms in the ancient times uh, to travel up to Jerusalem. They're like road trip psalms, pilgrim songs, journey songs, um, so that they can uh, be, while they're walking with Jesus, they can transform their minds and have their eyes set on the right things. Um, two weeks ago, we learned that um, as they were journeying along, we learned that children were a blessing from the Lord. You remember that psalm together? And then last week, we saw that this journey was headed towards Jerusalem and they got there. And there was great unity. They looked around and it wasn't just, oh no, it's just me and my biological family. Uh-uh. It was like, all the walls were dropped, remember? And it was like, oh, there's no cliques. There's no jealousy. There's no grudges. Everyone is here. And we're all come, we've all come to worship the Lord. And if you could describe last week in a word, what would it be? Starts with a U. Rhymes with schmunity. Yes! You guys nailed it! I knew you were paying attention. Yeah, it was beautiful. And so this week, we're there. We're there. Right? This is the last Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 134, and there's an invitation for us to worship. The psalmist goes like this, Hey, come and bless the Lord, and as a result, you're going to be blessed. That's the message. That's, in a, that's the message in a sentence. Those are the three points to come, to bless the Lord and to be blessed. 
And so we are going to start with the first one, to come. Can I read it for you? This is word. We're in Psalm 134, and here's just verse 1. And then we'll pause and talk about it and allow God's word to shape us. Okay? Here we go. Verse 1, come. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Before we start, uh, is my mic okay? Can everyone hear me all right? Okay. Maybe, maybe I got a little from last night's burrito. So. <laughs> all right. So we're talking about the first word, come. And just a warning, I spent a lot of time on this on this first word. This first word has done a number on my heart um, this week. Let's go technical for a little bit so that we can uh, gaze at God's Word, understand it rightfully, and then we'll move to the practical, okay? So there are two Hebrew verbs that start this psalm. The second one is bless or praise the Lord, okay? The first one, depending on your translation that you're using, um, is different. Um, I'm using the ESV, the English Standard Version, so it says come. Other translations take it as, this is the first verb, uh, behold, like look at them in praise. Or there's the next Bible, uh, it says attention. Or others say see or low, which is kind of old fashioned. Oh, and bless the Lord. Um, the NLT says, oh, bless the Lord. Um, some translations go ahead and skip the first verb altogether. I, I think the ESV is pretty accurate in this situation uh, where it says, come, this invitation, come and bless the Lord. I love this invitation. Um, this psalm written by David the shepherd is such a shepherding verb. It's a great way to start this, this call to worship to come. Why? Um, personally, um, I need help in praising the Lord. Are you guys? I mean, who amongst us came in here just ready, frothing at the mouth, excited to bless the Lord the first song? Right? Unless you, unless you really did a great job preparing your heart Saturday night, you woke up early this morning Sunday, you read the Scriptures, and you're in prayer, and you came with a heart ready and full, oftentimes, we're not ready immediately, I'm talking about timing, like, just bless the Lord and be there. And God, through the psalmist, knows humanity. He understands our situation. He understands that we've got a lot on our minds sometimes, and sometimes it takes time to settle down and focus our mind and our heart towards the things that matter most. So to me, this first verb is a tender display of God's patience with us. Come. Like, come to me. This psalm right here, I know it's only three verses, but it is, it's pretty clear that this is an invitation for public worship. So God is calling His people to come to come together in unity and to give praise out loud amongst His children in the assembly of the Lord. Church, we could, that's the 
to it. Like, come and bless the Lord. Um, for sure, if you're reading this psalm in your quiet time, just you as an individual, this applies to you and I, right? How many of us, how many of us plop down on our chair in the morning, open up our Bible, and straight up just start reading, close up our Bible, and run to the next thing in the day, right? It's easy to have like that time of worship and blessing and reading be just, uh, I'm just checking the box. I'm just doing this reading plan, and I just don't want to miss a day, so I'm not late, or something like that, right? I know I do that. And so, the invitation is this timely, come, rest before me, and bless me. So I told you we're going to spend a little bit of time on this first word. And so the question that I'd like to ask is, what keeps us from coming? What keeps us from, from those two verbs, to come and bless the Lord? What keeps us from coming to the presence of God's people and blessing, praising the Lord? What keeps us from coming personally to Him and then also corporately? So it's not just a question of attendance, but we all have experienced times in our life, times on a various Sunday or whatever, where we are noticeably like a shell, right? <laughs> we're here in body, but man, we're disconnected. We're totally disengaged. And it's just like zoning out. We never came. We never came. So I'd like to share with you a passage that has been really transformative in my life in the past few uh, weeks, months, um, in my family's life when we were on sabbatical. And it's a passage in Philippians 3. Um, there's a few verses on the screen with us, but we're just going to live there a little bit. So go ahead and turn to the New Testament. Keep your ribbon or your finger in Psalm 134. But go to Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. Again, we're asking the question, what keeps us from coming? Let me read it for us. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I'll give you a minute to find it. I remember Philippians by go eat popcorn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or General Electric Power Company for you engineers out there. I am not one. Here is Philippians 3. Brothers, I do consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, pause. Don't read ahead. Don't read ahead. Me anticipate what Paul's going to say. Paul, the Apostle Paul, if he was going to say, hey, there's one thing that I do when I'm walking with the Lord that I want to communicate to you. If I could impart to you one thing that you could remember practically in your love for the Lord and His church, what would it be? What would it be? It's found right here in this passage. Are you ready? Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward towards what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ.
Isn't that beautiful? Let's think about it. Again, we're asking, why do we not come sometimes? We're saying, I wonder if it's because we're not doing the one thing, forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what lies ahead. Talk about what it would mean to forget what lies behind. Contextually, Paul is saying, first off, you've got to forget your accomplishments. You actually, in walking with the Lord, in straining towards the prize, I want you to forget and leave aside the good things in your life. And you're like, what? Are you kidding me? I was thinking that forgetting what lies behind means only forgetting the bad things in your life, hard things, challenges. I've just got to move on. And we'll get there. But contextually, let's read it together. Let your eyes go up to verse 3 in this chapter. We're learning that Paul is saying, you've got to forget your accomplishments with walking with the Lord. Why? Because putting on your past accomplishments, your grade point average, even your reputation, if you're thinking, I'm just going to ride on who I have been for the last 10, 20, or 30 years, God is saying, no, I want you to come to me and I want you to worship me because holding on to your past will keep you from coming to me, connecting with me, and it will keep you from walking and straining forward. Here's verse 4. I'm sorry, I told you wrong. Verse 4 of Philippians 3. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, here's Paul's accomplishments that's forgetting behind. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's just going through his laundry list of the conscience. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as what? Loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from law, but which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know Him, here's Him moving forward, and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Believers, you want to come to God and, and worship and bless Him? You must forget. You must move on from your past accomplishments of the things that you've been riding on. You're like, I'm pretty good. Maybe like I had perfect church attendance in fifth grade. I think I can coast for a while. Or maybe, you know what? For a year, I read the Bible every day. I think I'm going to take a few years off and live off of those great meals for a while. Or whatever it is that you are holding on to, reputation accomplishments, in order to strain towards what is ahead and pursue Christ, you must forget the five times. That may be yesteryear. That may be yesterday. Also, wisdom would tell us, we need to move on from hard things. Again, this is, this is something that is really 
transformed our hearts. That this verse certainly could say to us that you must forget the hard things that have scarred you from where you're coming from. Because those things, if you latch on to them, you won't knuckle them. If they become your identity, it will keep you from straining towards what is ahead. The prize, the goal, the race towards Jesus Christ. Those things in the past, the hardships, we all have them. They become like weighted vests, don't they? Like who among us says, Yes, I want to run a 5K, 10K. I want to run a half marathon, you know, a marathon. Somebody get me my snowsuit quick so I can put it on. No one says that, right? Hebrews says, no, no, we got to shed off all the things that hinders us so that we may run the race with endurance, so that we may have confidence. Friends, we've got to forget the hard things. When we say forget, it's a hard word, isn't it? Like it requires explanation. It's not like, oh, I forget about that. Because we know that we're supposed to learn from our sin. We're supposed to learn from our mistakes. We're supposed to learn from our hardships. This idea of forgetting is this idea where it's holding on to something, where it becomes your very identity and keeping you from what God wants you to be and do. When my family and I were on sabbatical, um, Hannah, she, she would read out loud to our family, um, because we had a lot of time in the car. It was great. In this verse, we saw it transform our very minds and hearts and caused us such great freedom. Like, I am not above this verse. I'm not excluded from this verse. This verse freed me. I was holding on to, and I didn't even know it, relational pain from nine years ago. Nine years ago. And I I didn't even know I was holding on to it or even thinking about it. But when we rested, the Lord surfaced these things in our hearts and it was the Spirit working in our hearts. And we said, oh, I, I, I guess I haven't forgotten that. I haven't, I haven't laid it down. It's been like tied within my heart and squeezing my heart. It's been keeping me from straining towards something ahead. It's been keeping me from bearing like fruit that's juicy and big and good. And so, Lord, thank You. Thank You for being so patient with me that after nine years you still want me to run the race fast towards Christ. Thank you for allowing me and convicting me and allowing me to forget and move on from that. That's me. That's your pastor. The Lord's so gracious with me and He is with you too. He with other friends. Continue to be patient with each other as God is patient with you. Don't be so knee-jerk reacting to insecurities, to sin, 
Let's be patient with each other. It is easy to start thinking this way. Ready? Well, I'm God's child. Um, he must be losing his patience with me. And so uh, I better get my act together quickly. And so in order to come to him, I'm using the language of Psalm 134 now, in order to come to him, I need to make sure that I come with my accomplishment. To come with my aim ready so that God will be most pleased with me and my worship to him. Is that the gospel, friends? No. That's not how the gospel works. Or, this is often how we think and work. I can't come to Him. I've got too much junk in my life. And I've got too much shame. And He won't accept me. Or, turn that same scenario upside down. Well, I know God will accept me, but I know that the church won't accept me. I've got too much murky waters, and the church can only accept clear, crystal clear, blue waters. They can only see things that are clear. And so my life is too messy for the church. I'm going to keep from coming. Is that the Gospel at work? No! Of course not! But that's the way we think, isn't it? It's the way we think. And so the Gospel needs to once again permeate our mind and our heart and retrain us to think in such a way that we can come to God and in public worship praise Him freely without inhibition. Amen? Let me read to you a quote by Martin Luther. We have it up here for you. This is so transparent and so rich of Martin Luther. He says, I have now been preaching and cultivating the gospel through reading and writing for almost 20 years. And still, I feel the old, that'd be the old self, the old like man, sin. I feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal so with God that I may contribute something so that He will have to give me His grace in exchange for my holiness. <laughs> Anyone like that? Still, I cannot get it into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace. That's our Gospel. To surrender ourselves completely to sheer grace. One first word. Are you convinced yet that you can and should come to God? Are you there yet with me? If you're not there, guess what? There's grace. <laughs> There's time. Let the Lord work in your life. Whether you're opening up the Bible in the quietness of your home and going, no, or whether it's in the general Christian assembly, church, you can come to the Lord. Let's talk about what happens though when you come. Okay, so come and bless the Lord. I skipped something. Would you give me a moment? I skipped a little bit of application. This is just to allow you to turn this over. 
um, there's two questions from, from coming, okay? It would be this, what do I need to forget from my past? Right? Rephrase, hey, what do I need to move on from? And then the other one would be, what do I need to do to strain towards what is ahead? Or deprived of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Right? Like, what's the Lord calling me to do? And how can I bear much fruit? Part of it is leaving, part of it is pursuing. Those are two good questions to write down and go to the Lord with, to come to Him and talk with your family and your friends and say, what do you think? Have I been holding on to anything? Okay, so let's go to point number two, to bless the Lord. Let me read it for us again. Verse 1 of Psalm 134. You can go back to Psalms now. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Verse 2, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Look at that repetition, blessing. All right, so here's, here's us entering into um, deep waters, the idea of blessing the Lord. I don't know about you, but for a long time, I have been uncomfortable with the idea of me blessing the Lord. I thought that that was just something that God did. God blesses me, but I don't have the authority to bless Him. How, how can I do that? I'm not, I, just, I wish the psalmist would have used different phraseology because what, am I giving him permission to do something? How does that work? Okay, If you've had those questions, if you want to dive in deeply to the Scriptures, let's do it together. Let's ask those questions. Okay? So here we go. Both the Greek and Hebrew Scriptures use the same words to express this idea of giving blessing to God and God blessing us. Yet, woo, huge difference. Massive difference in God's blessing towards mankind and mankind blessing Him. Let me read to you an old dead Puritan, okay? Those Puritan guys, they thought very deeply on things and learned a lot from them. Here we go. When man blesses God, the utmost he can do is make known his desires that God may be honored by himself and others. May own his desires, okay? But when God blesses one, he cannot only speak what is good concerning him, but that good is sure to be accomplished. Man's blessing is optative, so that would be like man's blessing is a prayer, or it's a request. Lord, would you do this in question form? God's blessing is authoritative. It will happen. I am. Does that make sense? So example, when we're praying, okay? And when you hear others, and there's different traditions of Christianity out there that'll say, and Lord, we bless you. And we, right? And you're like, what is going on with that language? Are they giving permission to God to move? I thought that that was only His to decide. They're not. We're not. What we're doing is we're saying we surrender and we accept Your divine knowledge, Your power. So we, we bless You. It's our request. Like, hey, Lord, would You... We bless Your will. 
would you move in such a way that pleases you? We bless that. Does that make sense? Again, God is not giving him permission, but it's giving him the praise he deserves. Your heart's surrendered. You're laying before him. You're asking. And that's why I think verse 2 is there. It talks about blessing him and raising up or lifting your hands to the holy place. And there it is again, and blessing the Lord. Okay? Can we have a little bit of theology of hands? Let's do it together. Okay. Theology of hands. So, I think just to start off, this is, this is the believer blessing the Lord. To start off, we've got to say that just because someone puts their hands up doesn't mean they're spiritual. It doesn't mean their heart's in the right place. Just because a person has their hands down doesn't mean they're disobedient. Okay? Theology of hands is that, is that the Lord looks at the heart, not the hand. Man, wouldn't it be easy if you're like, well, if I just do this, then the Lord will be pleased. That how surfacey would that be of Christianity, right? It'd be crazy. So there's really no indication that if you have your hands lifted up or down, that that means you are blessing the Lord. You're walking with Him. Okay. So if you are visiting a church and you look around and every people are raising their hands. It's not a good conclusion to say, whew, this is a vibrant church. Because their external body, their hands are up. Nor is it a good conclusion to visit a church and to everyone has their hands down and go, bunch of stiffs here. Man, this church is dead. Ain't nobody raising their hands. Right? We've all done, we've all done that. So we, we've, we've looked at surface things instead of the indication of the heart. It's like, whoa, hands up, spirit's alive. Hands down. I think everyone's not even a Christian here. It's all dead. So the heart is the most important thing, not the body. That's the slam dunk. Okay? But let's just go a little deeper. Here in Psalm 134.2, we have this symbol where with your body, you're making gestures towards God. What does it mean? Um, this, is, this is just in efforts to try to summarize this. Part of it, we could say half of it, is receiving, half of it is giving. Okay? So half of it is lifting up your hands and you're receiving blessing from God. You're saying, Lord, thank you for what I have received. Thank you for blessing me with your Son, Jesus Christ. Like, thank you for the Gospel. So if you're looking around, and if we're worshiping, we're singing together, and if you see someone holding up their hands, you go, they're probably, they're probably thanking the Lord for His great blessing on their life. They're probably thanking Him for the Gospel. It's not a show or anything. This is, this is a gesture of of receiving. The other half would be a gesture of giving. Okay? So this is, Lord, I am giving you back my life. You bought me and I am in surrender to you. So I'm receiving, Lord, thank you for the blessing of the Gospel. 
Thank you for giving me the Spirit who is at work within me. And as a result, I'm going to give myself my life right back. Lord, I've been holding on to this thing. I, I surrender it. Lord, forgive me. And there, because like we're so weak, like the Lord has given us like physical identification, just like He has with the bread and the cup, and just like we're going to see September 11th with a symbol going down and going up. He's given us tangible ways to walk with Him to say, Lord, I need You. Helpful? Can we think like that amongst each other as we, because this is a public psalm, as we're in public praise with one another? Let's do it. It's receiving, it's giving. There, because Christianity is so relational, it is a relationship going on. Lord, thank You. I Thank You for the blessing. I give You back my life. Lord, forgive me for holding on to this. I surrender here. Is worship. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Listen to uh, David Matthias talk about it. He says, because of the way God has made the world and wired our own hearts on certain special occasions, we reach for something tangible, physical, and visible to complement or serve as a sign of what is happening invisibly and what we're capturing with invisible words. A lot of words to say, man, thank you, Lord, for giving us something tangible to communicate what's happening in our hearts. Let's go on to point number three. So we've seen we're to come. We've seen we're to bless the Lord. And now we're, we're seeing that God blesses in return. There's this request, may the Lord bless you. And this is from verse three. It says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. He who made heaven and earth. So the psalm starts with blessing. It ends with blessing, like God blessing you. Right, what a great way to like begin and end. It's a special blessing. A blessing in this verbiage from Zion, which we learned last week is a reference to Jerusalem. Remember that the dew from Mount Hermon made its way all the way to the all the way to Zion, to Jerusalem. And so here we're speaking of a great blessing from God, who is the creator of heaven and earth, which parentheses, when the psalmist does that, he says, who's powerful. If he's a creator, then he can handle just about anything. Actually, he can handle it all. Whatever's going on in your life, even your afterlife. He can even handle eternal life. And so what He started creation, friends, culminates the cross of Jesus. This is the greatest blessing for the believer. If you're taking notes, write down Ephesians 1.3. Let me read it for you. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I said blessed. Same verbs, right? Blessed. How so? Who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Do you believe that today? That Jesus is the greatest blessing. It's all you need for life and godliness. Jesus came to earth, 
died on the cross for our sins in our place. We call it the atonement, the covering, where His blood covers our sins so that those who repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ would be forgiven of their sins and know God personally through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And not only this, not just forgiveness of sins, which is wonderful. Not just, oh, I just, I just want to get forgiveness of sins so I feel better about my... No, no. It's forgiveness of sins in this life and given life. Given eternal life in Christ Jesus so that those who love Him and hold fast to His words wouldn't ever die. Now, they would die physically, but they would live forever spiritually. I just had a dear brother in Christ, a fellow missionary friend from Tanzania, die two nights ago in his sleep. He lost a soldier last night on the mission field. That brother is with Jesus. He's with Him. Can you believe it? He's with the Lord. Not with us. We grieve. It stings. Not as much, though. Not as much. Why? Because Jesus beat death and didn't just die on the cross for our sins, but the aspect of the Gospel is forever left out, Lord forgive us, is that Jesus rose again. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, He rose from the grave, beat death, conquered it, and gave us life in Him. I'm not just saying this because I have to, because I'm a pastor, but friends, as brothers and sisters, I really believe in this. And when my faith is weak, I ask the Lord, Lord, help me because I'm weak. Help me in my unbelief. Help me, Lord, would you make the death and resurrection of Jesus more alive in my life this week than last? I feel like I forgot about it this week. The opportunity to, to tell someone about Jesus this week. I asked them, this might be weird to you, but I'm trying to grow in my boldness. And I'm praying that we as a church grow in boldness. I asked, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? No. Do you know what the gospel is? No. No. And I had a chance for five, ten minutes to explain from beginning to end the gospel of Jesus. And, um, and afterwards I said, so have you ever received that gospel? Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? Have you ever responded to what I just told you in the last five minutes? And they said, well, I could do better. I should, I should really get back to church. I need to be a better person. And, you know, I said, oh, okay. No, no, no. Like, have you, have you received Christ, though? Not, not tried to piece your life together, and, but, but have you ever responded to Jesus? And they said, no, no, I don't think so. I don't think I have. Now that you ask it like that, no. They said, how about we become friends and we meet more? Um, I'd like that. I don't think I'm ready to yet, but I, I want to hear more on that. Um, and so be praying for my new friend, and uh, we'll see if someday he receives Christ not just tries to put his life back together, bootstrapping it. Christianity, no way. 
So friends, we're seeing here that the blessing from Zion, like if you come, if you bless the Lord, the blessing is Jesus himself. If you come to God, you get God. That's, that's the gospel. That's it. That's it. How, how in the world does that happen? I don't think that that's good. No, no, that's not it. That goes everything against what is ingrained in my heart. Because I've been cursing him my whole life. And so how could me, how could I curse him and he give me a blessing? Well, Galatians 3.13 says that God sent his son to be a curse for us. And if he who is hung on a tree is cursed, he who believes in the man who hung on the tree gets blessed. And that's the greatest news that, that mankind has ever received. So if the blessing is Christ himself, then for the believer, I've got to ask, is that enough? Is that enough for you? Let me ask it in a different way. If all of the blessings of Christianity were stripped from you, if you, if all of your Christian friends, if all of your like um, um, model of well, at least I have a life lived for purpose, or even like if your church was stripped from you, or even like your ways that you serve, or even heaven itself, if heaven was stripped from Jesus. Like if you could still go to heaven and like experience streets of gold and like pearly white gates, but Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to go? No pain, no suffering, but no Jesus? Tough question, isn't it? Would Jesus be enough for you? Is he enough? And let me just answer the question confidently saying, brothers and sisters, church, Jesus is enough. He is enough. He is enough for you to come. He is enough because He deserves all the praise for you to come and bless Him and surrender your life. He's enough. He's enough to leave your past accomplishments. He's enough to leave your past hurt, wounds, scars. He's enough. He's enough for you to turn from those paths and to strain. To strain. Isn't that a great verb? To strain towards what lies ahead for the goal of the upward prize of Christ. He's enough. He's enough to bless and request all of your prayers and surrender to and he's enough to praise because he deserves it all. We're going to close with a song today um, that just says, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forever. And would you, would you take this song and would you apply it right now, like immediately to your, to your worship? Would you come to him? Would you say, Lord, I, I praise you. You're enough. 
as as we're worshiping, if the spirit like surfaces something that you need to leave behind, go, go surrender it to him. If there's something where you're like, Lord, this has kept me from straining towards what is ahead, confess that. Bless him. And in return, you'll be greatly blessed and reminded that Jesus Christ is enough. Would you stand with us and let's sing together?